Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from Palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, January the 20th. Um, if you check your scorecard at home, God, who has scorecards, Brad? If you check your schedule at home, uh, we shouldn't be recording right now because Virginia should be should have had a basketball game tonight um, that obviously um, got taken off the schedule um, after um, contact tracing issues and, and positive testing at NC State. So instead of having a midweek game coming off of an absolute molly whopping on uh, Saturday night in um, Clemson, South Carolina, the Cavaliers instead are idle until Saturday against apparently a Georgia Tech team that might be pretty good. Uh, we will get into all of that and then some on this year podcast. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? Going pretty good, Brad. No, no uh, fan encounters this week to report on, so um, and no basketball tonight. So, other than that, I'm doing great. Who days on the board at Who days on Twitter? Well, you you mentioned you failed to mention the the mention that you got on Twitter, which you know you said something about that's a good place to put a pin in it, which is the first time I've ever <laughs> had somebody quote me. Uh, so if y'all want to like at one of us and quote some things we say often, you know, feel free. Um, <laughs> up in Loudon, staff writer Justin Ferber is also back on this year program. What's going on, my dude? Uh, it's going, man. I I got a ice cold drink in my hand, ready to talk some UVA basketball. Can't complain. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, and I also have not run into anyone this week of note. So, <laughs> Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, I was there's a joke in there somewhere about you said something about you know we're going to talk about UVA basketball. And I was trying to think of like the most obscure UVA sport that we could talk about, and then I thought you know maybe I shouldn't just like pretend that we were going to talk about that because then there would be like this like random person yeah. who will like call me out for it. And so I don't want to, I don't want to get in the waters. Um, all right. So it, it's squash though, right? It, it has to be squash. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say squash. And then I was like, why do you read? Listen to the podcast and like, you know, come out of the media grave and be like, what's going on, man. That's my best whitey, by the way. All right. So the Cavaliers go down to little John and I'll be honest, a game that I thought would be relatively close. Um, and they just, it was just not close. Um, 85 to 50 Cavaliers just absolutely pummel um, the hapless Clemson Tigers. Um, this thing was, what, 12, uh, 18 to 2 um, before you knew it. Um, and that was before UVA hit nine straight threes in the second half. But while Clemson was missing like 13 field goals in a row, um, which is not good uh, for those of you scoring at home. Um the numbers from this game are just kind of absurd, so I want to at least shout out a few of them. Um, not just that UVA shot uh, a pretty crispy 55.6 from three in the game, um, but also 60% from the field, um, only turned it over seven times. Five of them, I think, were in the first half. Put five in double figures, including one Thomas Wolde Tensai, which was not something I would have seen coming after he did not play against Notre Dame. He gets in for 20 minutes, was 5 of 7 from the floor, 4 of 6 from deep. Um, listen, if, if Walter Tensai is going to come in and hit four threes, you're probably going to be in trouble, especially with this offense. And uh, I think that's kind of a storyline we've kind of tracked all season, right, which is this team, if it can play some defense, is going to be pretty good because their offense is, you know, pretty versatile, even, you know, even if it's not necessarily always going to be, 
you know, the hot knife through butter that it was um, in Little John. Um, Clemson does not have a single player score in double figures. Um, only had 17 points at the half. Um, UVA had 52 points in the second half. Dude, there were games last year where I didn't think UVA was going to score 52. So the idea that they put up 52 and a half is just banana pancakes to me. Um, Dave, most impressive part of this game for you. And let's let's just go ahead and stipulate that uh, had we recorded this podcast last night, we would have talked. We would have talked. We would have spoken. We would have talked a lot more about, you know, maybe this game being a significant sort of moment for UVA. Knowing Clemson is, is on the struggle bus again, this time against Georgia Tech, as we record, um, does dampen um, that a, a touch. But just in general, what's the most impressive part to you about this game for UVA? I mean, team-wise, I think it was the starting hot. Like, this team has been a little slow to get going. Um, so I'd say starting hot, making good shot selections, pretty much like there weren't many bad shots taken that whole game. Now, granted, they made a lot of shots, but they also took a lot of really good shots. Um, individually, like, Walter Tensa, like, that was a professional performance. Like, that's what you expect out of NBA got to come off the bench and, and be good despite not having not played for a couple games. And um, like, to me, that shows a lot about what kind of player he is. Um, and it gives a team, you know, <laughs> another, another weapon. If you can not play him for basically two whole games and he comes in and does that, uh, I just think it makes the team a lot tougher. So um, the other team thing, like the defense continues to get a little bit better. Look, Clemson, we talked about it last week. Like, Clemson's not a great three-point shooting team. Um, typically, that's what you need to beat UVA. So, you know, that was that was something to be be concerned with on their end. Um, but I thought overall, like the defense continues to improve. Um, I, mean, I don't think they're where they need to be to to make a deep run in the tournament. But they're way way better than they were a couple weeks ago. Ferber, this was supposedly the number one defense in the country going into this game. And the thing I think that I keep coming back to, um, and if we, you know, we think back to, you know, however many days ago it was when we, uh, when we ran that preview that you wrote for the game, um, you had Virginia scoring 62 in this game. You have 57 for Clemson in your, in your little summation at the end, you said, you know, Virginia's playing good basketball of late has a pretty good history against them. You thought that they would outlast Clemson. I think that was the word you used, right? Was that you would out? They would outlast them. The fact that this just was never close is is the thing that sticks out to me. What stands out to you most about this uh, this Virginia win in Clemson? Yeah, I mean, I think that the way I saw the game, I did think UVA would win just because, like you mentioned, you know, UVA has a good track record against Clemson. Clemson, like Dave said, doesn't really do the things that hurt UVA the most. And to be quite honest with you, I just think they're really overrated. Um, I just don't see a lot from that team on the offensive end. Like, they're not nearly enough good enough on offense to be good. Um, so, or like consistently good. They're going to win some games. And they'll, they'll make the tournament probably, but um, I think they'll take their lumps too. I, I think the, the fact that it was so lopsided, if you go and look at the score, and, and really it was different than a lot of other UVA blowout wins of that caliber in the past because they scored 85 points and they probably could have scored more um you know i know they pulled pulled some guys with a few minutes to go and, and really ran with a lot of young guys and then a few walk-ons at the end um 
I think that it really speaks to the potential of UVA's offense when things are going well. And, you know, Dave said they still have work to do on the offensive end. That That's definitely – or on the defensive end, I'm sorry. Um, and, and that's true, but I think if your offense is going to be that good, it doesn't really matter. Um, you're going to win almost every game you play. And, you know, that's just the way it is. You don't have to be – you know, you don't have to hold teams to 50 points if you can score – every game if you can score a decent number of points and I think that was what kind of kept UVA from being really really good last year is they just didn't have enough offense even though the defense was really good and they 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 did a good job of surviving games but it you know what we saw from UVA last week was what I was hoping to see and we talked about it on the podcast last week just you know you want to see them come out and get out to a good you know lead early in the game assert themselves and then the defense will hopefully follow and and, and and not just that, but, you know, like sustain that lead. We saw, you know, in other games where they would get out to the lead and then it would it would shrink um, and it'd become a tight game. You saw a little bit of that against Notre Dame, um, but in, I don't think it ever got within single digits. Um, and in this game, I mean, <laughs> Clemson was out of it and with no chance of a comeback before before halftime. I mean, it was what, like 30 to four or whatever it was at one point. So um, I think that's that's what you can look like when they're hitting on all cylinders I don't know if you're going to get that from that every, you know from them every night but even though I think Clemson's pretty like I think Clemson's overvalued I, I think going into anybody's gym in the ACC and doing that to them is is impressive um and, and UVA showed in that game that they have enough offense to if, if things are working right they can they can beat anybody um you know obviously Gonzaga really handled them by doing the same thing that UVA did to Clemson to UVA but um the, uh, the ACC, I mean, we can talk about that, but it's wide open, and, and I think they're going to have some success if they can continue to play 75% as good as that on offense. It has been a while, I feel like, since we saw a good Cavalanche um, or good, you know, one of these thorough sort of beatdowns. Uh, I think about that. There was that Devin Hall team that went into Blacksburg that one night and just wrecked fools. Um that I mean, they did it with the they did it with like the championship team. It just we got used to it, right? You know, yeah, that's but that's my point, five. right? Is yeah. that we you know we saw some of that that year, and then obviously none of it last year, and none of it except for maybe the the opener against Towson this year. But just yeah. that you know and what I'm saying, like count. where you go, where right, um, where you go, it's like you know twenty to three, and then the other team scores a few baskets, and then there's another you know fifteen to three run or something like that, and the thing just keeps you know ballooning. Um, there was that one against. Do you remember that one against Florida State? They had, they were just beating the to, just the brakes off of them, and then Leonard like was pressing the green team. Y'all remember that? It was in JPJ. I feel like it was a JPJ, yeah. right? And I mean that thing was like they ended up cutting it to like twelve. Or yeah, something. it made it but, look like it was like a close game, and it was absolutely they were just, they were up like thirty. Yeah, exactly. It was an absolute blowout. But anyway, my my bigger point though is that you you just mentioned the ACC being sort of wide open. In some ways, this is the Virginia team. A lot of us. I'll put myself in that group, expected to see, especially after that Towson game. Now, granted, you know, maybe I'm ridiculous for thinking that anything that happened against Towson was going to track. But when I, I did, I made it like a, yeah, I do this sometimes where like I'll, you know, I'll basically, for lack of a better description, put something on Twitter after a win specifically because I know people just eat that up, right? But I thought about like what was what were the numbers in that Towson game. So I like pulled up the the box score that I tweeted out that day. And some of the some of the uh, similarities and, and parallels were pretty staggering. Uh, the difference, of course, in that game is that like it wasn't as balanced scoring. But 
you know, in terms of shooting, in terms of three pointers and that kind of thing. Like it was, there were some similarities, but to do it in little John against a team that even if you didn't think, you know, Clemson was going to win the national championship, most folks I think thought, Hey, there's a whole lot of teams out there who are trying to figure it out. And Clemson seems to be one of those few teams that has a pretty decent idea of who it wants to be. Right. Um, these last two games for them have certainly, um, you know, dislodged that, that idea from my brain. Um, but man, it was, it was just so thorough that it's hard to, it's hard to talk about much else in this game. I mean, Tony obviously, you know, focused a little bit on that, um, that spurt Clemson had at the end of the first half. And so they come out in the second half, they score on a back door and Virginia has to kind of tighten up a little bit, um, which is kind of funny in a game that they won by 35, but I mean, shoot, this thing was 33, 19 in 1949, you know, Clemson comes out of the half after ending the half on like a seven or whatever it was. Oh, run. Um, you know, they had to be feeling pretty good at that point. And over the next 19 minutes and 49 seconds, you know, they're going to get absolutely destroyed. Um, and a lot of that, I think, has to do with what I think might be the most impressive piece for me in this game is that Virginia went in this thing clearly with a determination. And I don't, I don't even know if you can call it – the only thing I can think of is, like, a physical confidence. And what I mean by that is, like, it's not swagger. I don't mean, like, you know, dudes are, like, taunting or whatever. I mean, like – there was a there was a uh, a deliberateness deliberation aspect deliberate I don't know what the word is they were deliberate basically right and they were physical and they you know everything cuts were hard the you know they 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 went at people Kihei's putting on folks on skates it was it was very thorough and even when Clemson made that run you just never saw any any sort of um, blinking right like I I was. I was really impressed, honestly, with the way that Virginia handled that to to have that run at the half and then have them score that first bucket and to to go on the run that they did. Um, listen, when you make nine threes in a row, I don't care who you're playing, um, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. But you know they were doing it from all over. Hauser hits one, Huff hits one, Murphy hits one, Hauser hits another one, Murphy hits another one. Um, they were just they were just kind of like the best version of themselves. So then that begs my the next question, which is, Dave, what are, what did and you look at this game? Okay, maybe Clemson isn't as good as we thought they were. Um, enter the Dennis Green quote in my head. They we let them off the hook. Um, but when you when you think about okay, the performance that Virginia put out there is that sustainable to you? Question one. Question two. If not, how close to that do you expect Virginia to get on a regular basis? I mean, it's probably not sustainable given that no team shoots 55% from three on average for a season. Um, but I think something you know closer to that than what we've seen in the struggle part of the season is probably where this team ends up. Um, and I think a lot of it is just figuring out where the, how the pieces fit together. It's, you know, Hauser you know, has continued to get a lot more comfortable. And to me, like that alone makes the offense better. Um, He's not taking as many like hero shots, if you will, letting the ball move a little bit more. Um, Kihei continues to be kind of lights out. Um, and then, you know, Trey, as talented as he is, is kind of settled into kind of the sharps, you know, the sniper role from deep. And then he'll just kind of lull him to sleep, hitting those long shots and then drive and dunk on him at some point in the game, which opens back up that shot. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of what we're seeing, 
is main, you know, I, I think they can be a consistently good offensive team. Um, especially if they can shoot the three ball in that 40% range, just because it opens up so much more um, for the inside game. The the question for me, like the potential weakness for this team offensively is going to be uh, Shedrick's health because, you know, I think Jay picked up two fouls kind of early in that, ha- in that half. I can't even remember. Um, pretty sure he, he had two fouls in the first half and set for a while. So like when Jay goes out, the offense certainly takes a step back, whether with Kafaro in or with going to a smaller lineup. So, if if you can't get Shedrick back, so the offense doesn't drop off quite as much, um, and the defense drop off as much, like to to me that that's what the team has to get figured out, and obviously stay healthy. But yeah, I mean, I, I like where they are right now. They're, you know, it's it's progress, and it's kind of what we see year after year with Tony's teams no matter how frustrated I might have been at the beginning of this season. Uh, I was thinking back this morning, um, trying to figure out anything profound to say tonight. And I go back to that San Francisco game. Like, to me, that's the outlier. Everything else would make sense if you know, if they just hit that shot at the end of that game or you know won that game by five or six points. It would be like, well, Gonzaga, we just ran into a hot Gonzaga team and you know we're getting better. Um, so it, it's that San Francisco game that's still, I think, jading my view of this team yeah i i i can i can uh i can understand that i think the way i think about them is gonzaga is kind of at a different level um and i mean you know obviously they're not going to be perfect every game but when they've got even their good stuff not even their best stuff but just their regular good stuff they're going to be really difficult to beat the the san francisco game to me is a microcosm of Starting the season when they did, you can make a million sort of not don't call them excuses, more like reasons why. If I if you see a clunker like that in ACC play, maybe you feel differently. The trick for me is when I ask the question, and Ferber, I'm gonna pause it, pose it to you too. Like, it's not necessarily you can look at the 85 or you can look at the 50, and I think for this team, they're gonna flirt with 85 at times. Like that's just they're just really balanced, and especially now that they have, they seem to have some. Um, there's some some firmness in terms of role, right? It seems like guys understand who they're supposed to be now in a way that they just didn't. Um, and God, what game was I watching? I think it was Jimmy Dykes on the call for for Kentucky Auburn the other day, and he was mentioning that like basically the clock for college basketball is just completely off, right? We think of middle of January and we think like, oh, that's the time frame when when teams are you know in the thick of their seasons and you know they've kind of figured it out, but because of everything and the differences with this season, so many stops and starts, like teams are several weeks, if not maybe a month behind where they normally are, right? And so maybe Virginia's just kind of entering that place now, like, oh, this is so what it's supposed to be like. And Tony talked a little bit about this the other day, right? The, you know, not having Casey available, not having Caden available, not having Cody available, allowed them to sort of really focus on a few guys. They figured out what their rotation should be. He might still, you know, extend things a little bit, but his five is pretty firm. And having those two ball handlers on the floor – does seem and the tweaks they've made, you know, with Jay Huff in the games um, defensively has really helped them out. So I just look at it and I think, is it the eighty-five or is it the fifty? And to me, it's the fifty. Now, granted, Clemson doesn't have an offense that's you know going to keep you awake at night, but to be able to be that good offensively and also be as stingy as they were on defense, I know Clemson missed a ton of shots, but man, you got to be doing something right if you're going to hold teams to 
you know, to that to that kind of scoring output. And for a Virginia team that, frankly, had not been playing this sort of Virginia defense throughout the season we're accustomed to, that's pretty impressive. So what do you think, Ferber? What's, what's the thing? Do you think it's sustainable? Do you, what, what matters most to you, the 85, the 50? Do you have some lingering concerns? What, 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 as you look forward, what, what stands, what, what, where, do you, where do you fall down on this? Yeah, I mean, I think the 50 is probably more encouraging just because, we, you know, we saw some lapses on that end of the floor. And I felt pretty good about UVA's offense, even though at times earlier in the season, it didn't quite look like it was coming together like we thought it would. It just took time. Um, you know, you guys mentioned the San Francisco game as an outlier. I don't really see it that way just because I feel like they just weren't that good at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, right after that, they almost lost to Kent State. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't like that was just a one-off blip on the radar and then they got better. I think they sort of turned the corner after the first COVID, you know, pause. Um, you know, they had the William & Mary game and then they got blown out by Gonzaga. Just nothing, nothing went their way in that game and they ran into a bus all, which is, you know, it happens. Um, and then, and then I thought that Notre Dame game, you started to kind of say like, okay, this looks like UVA basketball and everything we've seen since has as well. Um, I still would like to see them um, again. I mean, Clemson, that's not a bad win um, on the road, especially, but I'd like to see them continue to do it against, you know, top half of the ACC teams. And, and as far as I know, I think I saw Gary Parrish say this every game on UVA schedule the rest of the way at this point is a, is a quadrant one or quadrant two opportunity, which is huge for their resume. And, um, and, and it give them a lot of opportunities to prove themselves. But but getting back to offense versus defense, I think um, you know eighty for eighty five for any UVA team is a lot. So I think that can, that shows you that this team might be different in terms of what their offense can do than other teams. Um, as far as just like number of players who can beat you, um, the ability to shoot the ball is like completely the opposite of where it was last year, where it was like the weakness of the offense. Now it's maybe the best strength that they have. Um, but I think we kind of knew that going in, and it's just now starting to f- sort of click into place a little bit more. Because they scored 80 against Notre Dame too, right? I mean, like, that was back-to-back games. So I think um, – I don't know if they're going to – you know, I don't think you're going to all of a sudden see them start averaging 80 points a game. But um, And I don't know where their season average is right now, but I think it's above 70, um, which is pretty high for a Tony Bennett team. But I think um, – you know, if you can hold, even if on an off night, if you hold a team to 50, you should be able to win. Um, <laughs> despite what we saw last year where, like, 50 might not be enough to win, for, for almost every team in college basketball, 50 is going to be enough to hold the other. You know, if you hold a team to 50, you're going to win the game. So um, I think that was really encouraging. Um, and, and just to see, you know, you talked about the Cavalanche, just to see, like, the sustained excellence on that end of the floor for basically the entire first half. Until Jay and, and Dave, you nailed it. You know, he got into the foul trouble, and that's when Clemson sort of went on a little bit of a run because it was like thirty to five, and I think at halftime it was like thirty-three to seventeen or something. Um, so I mean, I think that you kind of can see like at, at their peak what they can do, and um, and, and it was just a cl- you know a clinic on both ends of the floor. But um, the defense is probably the more important one for this team's potential because I think the offense is is showing us what they can do. Let's talk about Jay Huff for a minute. Now, people who <laughs> listen to this show for a, a, a you know a number of years understand that maybe we were a little skeptical on the on the Jay Huff hype, and you know we have um, I think we have atoned for for that. Um, no, seriously though, I think we were we were trying to be 
uh, realistic and reasonable at a time when, um, and understandably so, right? Folks were really excited about, you know, what he could mean for the team and the program. And um, it was when folks started talking about like, oh, you know, he's going to, it's going to go pro after two years and such that, you know, things got a little bit uh, out of hand. Um, but my larger point here is that, you know, for a while it didn't seem like maybe Jay, um, not that necessarily he wasn't a good fit for the program or anything like that, but that maybe he wasn't going to be a guy who could really carry things. And I'm still not in a place where I think you're going to, you know, pump him in the ball. You know, he's going to take 25 shots or some nonsense a game. But what is very clear is how integral he is for this team. Now, maybe that changes, that calculus changes a little bit once Caden Shedrick is back available. But at this point, you know, this is his second sort of mono-like illness of the um, of the season, right? Because he had one in the fall and now he's had a relapse of it, so to speak, now. And so it's going to take him a little bit of time, you know, Tony said, even once he's cleared to come back, to be able to put back on the weight and kind of get himself back into playing shape because he was still in a place where he was trying to get there before. The, the reason for that long aside is because it, it's very clear to me that Virginia's not going to have an option B at – that position that's going to be able to give them anything that they normally get from Jay. And that's with all due respect to Francisco Kafar, he's just a different type of player. Doesn't really fit sort of the time frame in which he exists, if that makes any sense, right? So he he can do a lot of different things. It's just as of now the game the, the game and the sort of current state of play is is, is is a little bit different. Huff is in a in a in a situation, I think where I never expected him to be the MVP of this team or the most important player for this team, but he is by far to me the most important player for this team, and so he's got to stop getting into foul trouble. Um, he's got to figure out some way not to. Um, I don't know if it's the shift from the hedging to not that has getting him sometimes, but he does seem to be a little more active with his arms than he should be. But realistically, Virginia has to have him on the floor because they are just a completely different team when they, he's on the floor. You know, in the um, Notre Dame game, I mean, his I forget what the number ended up being. I think it was like 33 or something like that. Um, his plus minus in this game was 39. Um, now, granted, they won by 35. So, you know, um, Hauser's was a plus 35. Murphy was a plus 30. Clark was a plus 29. But it just, I think it just kind of illustrates how important Huff is. Because in this game, dude, he didn't just score 12 points. He also pulled down seven rebounds. He had five assists, right? He didn't have a block in this game, but he still managed to really impact this beyond just his scoring and his rebounding. Dave, as, as you watch this team, you've been, you know, fairly vocal about you needed to see more from Hauser. And I feel like you've, you've, you've said in recent weeks and recent shows that you think you've gotten that. What's the next step to you? in terms of Huff's game? What do you need to see from him? Is it just simply cutting down on foul trouble? Would you like to see him taking more threes? Um, he actually attempted six in this game, which I feel like is a is an outlier for him. Um, do you like him, you know, kind of being up there at the at the top of the key, you know, uh, big man sort of passing? Yeah. Because that was something I had not seen from him. What do you, what do you feel like you, you want to see more of from Jay? I mean, I don't know if there's any one thing i mean i think you've got to change up what he does based on the opponent like bringing him out against the t to the top against clemson pulling sims away from the basket made a lot of sense um i mean jay's a, a plus passer you know he's not kihei or reese or you know um but if you can get get sims away from the basket and clear up the the driving lanes that you know the cut lanes that made a lot of sense 
against teams that have an undersized big, like it doesn't do you any good because then you're giving up size. So, yeah, I think you're going to see variation in what he does. But I think what – look, Jay is you – know, Jay's been in the program for a while. Um, to me, his foul trouble now, when he was younger, his foul trouble came from kind of being undersized, being not quite as strong as he should be, and trying to do too much in the limited time he had on the floor, you know, trying to make the the great play instead of just the solid play. Um, now, to me, most of his foul tr- trouble is coming from fatigue, um, especially with – you could tell, like, you know, Tony knows the team's going to drop off when Jay's off the floor now. Um, and I believe he had played almost every minute up till the foul fouls against um, Clemson. And, you know, he's a – He's averaging like 23 minutes a game this year. He's only been over 30 once, and that was a Kent State game where he played 37 minutes in an overtime game. Um, but around 25 minutes is what he's going to give you, and I think it would behoove Virginia to figure out a way to get him out earlier so he's not fatigued at the end of that first stretch in the first half, which I'll have to go back and look. But I'm my, my memory tells me that's where most of his fouls come. It's towards the end of a – pretty long stretch of minutes on the floor. Look, there's not many guys his size um, that run up and down the floor and, and play defense like he does and ha- have to come out to the top of the key to, you know, not many guys in the world that do that who aren't in the NBA. So like, expecting that guy to play 40 minutes a game probably isn't a thing. Um, so it, to me, it's just, it's, it's getting Shudger backwards, figuring out another way to get Jay, keep Jay fresh. Same question to you, Ferber. What do you want to what What do you want to see more from from more uh, from Jay? Or do you feel like what you're seeing is exactly what you want to see? Just keep doing exactly that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I want to see more of the same because you know you talked about his development over time and how we felt about him over time, and you know I, I don't think any of us were at the point where we you know thought they should write him off or anything like right. that. It was more right. I think that we we were sort of you know. I don't know. There was just a gap between like where a lot of fans thought he was and his development and where he actually was. And that was indicated by his playing time because, um, you know, guys like Jack were playing over him because Tony trusted them on the defensive end. And Jay was a player with a high ceiling on that end, but, but it wasn't always realized. And those, you know, misrotations and things were showing up when he would play. Um, and you hope that he can offset that with an offensive spark. And a lot of times he did that and, and, and fans remember those moments. And that's sort of why there was this push for him to play more. Now you're starting to see him realize the potential. And I think he'd be the first person to tell you that, um, you know, he, he last year, you know, you saw the development in, especially in the ACC play where, you know, he started to get a little bit more consistent. He obviously was a much bigger part of the offense last year in defense. Just, he was on the court more. Um, and, you know, that that experience has certainly paid off this year and he looks like a much more, you know, a mature player on the court and a guy that knows where he's supposed to be on offense, um, knows that he is a better player around the rim than the guy guarding him most of the time and, and uses that to his advantage. He he picks his spots wisely with his shots. Um, the one thing I will say is I rarely see him take a shot, a three, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that shot. He's usually open. It's an in rhythm shot and, and they go down a lot. So, um, I think he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. Like Dave said, try to stay out of foul trouble. Um, and, and obviously like, I think, you know, you guys talked about Cedric earlier and, and his, 
his ability to, to stay healthy down the stretch could be huge for them to be able to keep Jay, you know, healthy in the second half and, and fresh. Um, and cause I think they're going to need him, you know, that he's an, an important piece to what they're doing. And, and you can see that like when the shots aren't going down, if he can get going around the rim, that can kind of get you through a spell that they always seem to have where, you know, they're, they're, they're hot for five minutes and then for three or four, they're, they're not hot at all. And then they run through a rut, but maybe, you know, having a guy around the rim that can get going can kind of make it so you're not so live and die by the three, um, on offense. So I think he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. He's clearly, um, become a great player. And and I think he's probably going to be an all ACC caliber player when the season's over. Yeah, you're right. The way you characterize that is actually perfect. And I, I needed to adopt that. The idea that like, whereas, you know, maybe we weren't there earlier, you know, when everybody else was, but we're there now, right, with him, where it's like, okay, yeah, he's he's pretty important. What's interesting is is that you mentioned the whole Jack Salt thing and, you know, other guys playing. If Virginia had maybe we could call them more traditional sort of guys coming off screens, like maybe he would still not be the right fit. But for this group, he's pretty perfect, it feels like. Um yeah, especially if you're doing like a four or five out sort of right. NBA offense, yeah. you know, the, yeah, and free up driving lanes. Exactly. And then the other thing, too, is that, you know, because other teams are playing, you know, such a, maybe non-traditional sort of lineups, right? Being able to pull somebody away from the hoop. my I mean, heck, my, my issue with him is like, stop double clutching on the three and just shoot that puppy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I see him a lot of times yeah. like top of the key. You know, he, he pump fakes once and then he thinks about it and then he shoots it. Um, I, you know what I say, catch and go, but, um, you know, what they've got working right now seems to be working right now. The question of course is, can they keep it up now? Uh, the Georgia Tech game has gone final. Um, they still put an 80 spot on, on Clemson. So maybe, maybe Virginia really did break weird Clemson. Um, maybe, maybe their defense isn't the best defense. Maybe it's not the, the best defense in the country. <laughs> um, but so the Cavaliers get Georgia Tech on Saturday, um, I want to talk a little bit because I, I personally don't feel like I'm in a place because George Tech was, you know, out for a long time. I, I mean, I know the Moses kid is uh, right is pretty good, but other than him and Alvarado, I mean I, Devoe. I mean, there's some pieces there that I think I, yeah. I I've seen, but I haven't watched this team a lot, um, so I'm not sure I, I I'm in a position just yet to to really get into them in depth. But I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the schedule. Um, the fact that we're not talking about, or we are talking at all tonight, that we're not recording tomorrow night because there was a game tonight, I'm still a little bit surprised, honestly. Not necessarily that NC State had to shut down. Um, I think once they had a positive, that one, it seems like everybody's first positive, this is what happens, right? It's like you got to have another one to, because this is what teaches you how to get through your contract tracing. And what I mean by that is you, it, it uncovers a lot of places where you're going to get contract trace that you weren't expecting. Um, which is why Virginia was able to, you know, just lose two players and and some coaches as opposed to losing, you know, the whole team again. But but what surprises me is that they're not playing somebody. So there was a game, I guess it was Boston College that had a positive, and so now there's a game that got moved. I'm surprised the ACC didn't do some creative stuff with the schedule. Um, and I know in our conversations that the two of you uh, have similar um, inclinations. So Dave, this is the question I want to ask. Is the ACC dropping the ball? No pun intended. Cause it's, you know, basketball. Well, I guess technically football, you could drop the ball too. Anyway, 
in football, it's, it felt like, man, they were doing a really good job of being smart and thinking outside the box. Basketball, it just it, to me, it doesn't feel like that. Do you think the ACC is um, asleep at the wheel, so to speak, in terms of trying to do things a little bit more um, unconventional to make these games happen? I mean, I, I think you've kind of locked yourself in, like having having a schedule out there. I understand. You know, I know we we texted about the Virginia Tech possibility once the news of their game getting canceled um, was that yesterday. Yesterday came out. Um, to me, like as a fan, I wanted them to figure it out. But as thinking about it from the coach's perspective, I know it's right down the road. But look, it doesn't give you normal practice, like. <laughs> it's just it's almost a precedent like do you really want to set that precedent especially when you've got you know a game coming up on saturday followed by a two-day turnaround for a monday night game um but so as long as they've got this schedule in place i i think it kind of makes it hard to to adjust on the fly C- certainly you know uva and virginia tech you know a couple hours in a bus um that game could happen but that's not going to be the case. Like you're going to have games that can't be done that quickly. Um, to me, like, you know, and you also get into the, is it really worth, you know, making rushing to make a game up? Um, how many games are you really going to need? It's kind of that, the big 10 football model, right? Um, do you really need those games? Like, is it that important to risk player safety by not having a normal buildup? Um, I mean, look, there's multiple ways to look at it. Um, to me, the ultimate way to do it would be for the ACC just to throw away the rest of the schedule they have, kind of have some guidelines, and then roll out a schedule like once a week. Yeah, okay, these teams are good to go, so this is what we're playing this week. Um, but I think it's a little bit too late to to do that. Yeah, that seems like a good idea, but I wonder if the horse is a little bit too far away from the barn at this point to do that. Yeah, definitely is. But then at the same token, I think, well, why would it be? Right, like what is what's so non-negotiable, right? What's so um, untouchable about the schedule that you couldn't do something like that? I think my thing with the schedule is that you have to, if two teams are healthy and can play, you have to take that opportunity to play. And you know, I, I understand if if coaches at UVA or coaches in Blacksburg didn't want to didn't want to move games around. But if they were both available on a night, and they, especially if they already had a postponed game, that should have just happened. And you know, who's to say that in two weeks Tech's not going to have a problem? Um, you know, and then that UVA game goes off. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a uh, th- this thing is so precarious. I mean, Tony talked about you know holding it with open hands, right? Like you can't control everything you would ever. Well, here was an opportunity for you to control something, um, and you probably should have got a game in. What do you think, Ferber? Do you like? Do you think the ACC is is dropping the ball in terms of being, um, in terms of not being creative enough with the, their scheduling? Well, I mean, I think that really depends on what their goal is, right? I mean, I think if their goal is to play as many games as possible, then yes, absolutely, they're dropping the ball and they're not being creative enough because, in you know, like even before the Virginia Tech game was canceled. You know, for for this week, I was able to figure out really quickly a situation where games could be played for UVA with their game against NC State canceled, and if NC State UNC gets canceled, there would have been some things they could have moved around. And that took me five minutes, and I'm sure there's people a lot smarter than me with scheduling at work at the ACC. So, um, 
My my general thought from what I've seen is that their plan is to just play the games that are remaining that are able to be played, um, and anything that gets, in I'm putting this in air quotes, postponed, is not going to be made up. Like, I mean, have we seen one game get made up yet? Like, we have that was they have, moved. They've announced games that were that were canceled or sorry postponed that have been rescheduled. They just have not been any of okay. the three UVA has been. Yeah, like a, a handful or yeah, so. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean that's that's cool. I mean, I guess they were able to find some space to do that, but um, that's kind of what you know. I I agree with you because you know you mentioned Virginia Tech. Uh, you know they play UVA next Saturday, I believe it is the thirtieth, um, in Blacksburg. And if everybody is healthy, hopefully that they can go ahead and go down there and play that game. But you don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Um, if you'd like to. If, if they're sitting in the league office like, man, I wish we could find a way to get UVA and Tech to get that other game that was canceled in, then it's like it's staring you in the face and they chose not to do it. Um, and, and I understand the short rest thing, but UVA and Tech were both supposed to play tonight anyway. So it wasn't like the, it wasn't like they're not on a normal schedule. Teams play Wednesday, Saturday, Monday all the time. Like that, that's normal. Um, like so I think if their priority is to play as many games as possible, then they are dropping the ball. But I think their general thought is like, well, we'll cancel games as they come. Um, we might have to like move around some games like they did um, on Saturday. I, Boston College, I believe, is the team that had to cancel their, their Saturday game against somebody. And so Pitt is playing Wake now instead. Um, so they've shown an ability to move games around. I know uh, Notre Dame and UNC played on like one day's notice earlier this season. Um, but it, it feels to me like they're not they're just willing to sort of like take the mulligan and keep moving it rather than rather than radically change the schedule or add games. And I don't think you can the Virginia Tech thing works because they both missed a game midweek. So the way the ACC scheduling works for those that aren't super familiar with it, you have a midweek game that'll be Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, every once in a while Thursday. And then you have a weekend game that is Saturday or Sunday. So there's really no exception to that. There's usually like one buy for each team at some point, you know, during that schedule, but you're not going to have a game on a Tuesday and then on a Thursday and then on a Saturday like that, that would be outside of their protocols, but playing Virginia tech on Wednesday would be within their protocols for scheduling. So I think that they're leaving some things on the table and I think they're okay with that. Like, I think it was Dave that said, you know, like how many games do you really need? UVA is what nine and two. Um, you know, it, technically, I think they only need to play like 13 games to be postseason eligible. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe I think the league is just like, whatever, like if we get them in, cool. If we can't, we're not going to go out of our way to, to make them up. And and for those of you wondering if they're going to make up the games that aren't, haven't been played, I would say probably not at this point. That would be Wake and Virginia Tech, right? Wake, Virginia. And NC State now. Right. So, uh, point of order. So, the ACC did announce on um, last Friday that the Notre Dame-Pittsburgh game that was scheduled for January the 2nd is now going to be on January 30th. The uh, Boston College-Syracuse game that was on um, February 13th has been moved to February 20th. And then the Notre Dame-Syracuse game that was scheduled for February 20th is going to move to De- – or sorry, was supposed to be on December 22nd has been moved to February 20th. So there's an example of Syracuse was on February 20th supposedly playing somebody else, and now they're going to be playing Notre Dame instead of Boston College. Um, now to, to the point though, and listen, no judgment. Uh, if you're at the ACC, if somebody at the ACC listens to this, but if you're at the, we're not, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at you. I just think that like, 
maybe there maybe in football there was a little bit more um uh, oomph behind you know the league saying hey let's play this game or let's get this done um you know the idea that like the and the and it was pretty prevalent it, depending on where you looked uh the idea that you know coaches might be saying no to to moving something i mean i think you're at a place where like coaches kind of i'm not necessarily say, not necessarily that they don't matter but like oh it's going to be tough to prep for somebody in 20 however many hours i mean so what like that's the ncaa tournament right and I understand too, like, you know, if maybe it was another team, but I mean, these, this is a rivalry and this is an important game to both programs and both teams are playing pretty well. But realistically, like, you don't know that in 10 days, both teams are going to be healthy enough to play. You did know that, that at least as a protocols, they were good to play tonight. And um, I, I think the idea that, like, they're going to get all the games in is really hard. It's really hard to fathom how that's going to work unless. Especially now the NCAA has come out and said, okay, here are the dates for the tournament. Um, my doomsday scenario, and we'll get into this now that we're 45 minutes into the show. My doomsday scenario is like, what happens if this happens at the tournament, the ACC tournament? And now all of a sudden you've got a whole bunch of teams that on a very short amount of time have to figure that out. Now, the the league has not come out and said like how they're going to handle um, – you know, whether, you know, teams are gonna have to report early or whatever. Um, but it does feel like that it, that this whole idea that you're going to be able to have teams come to a location, play games, and then go to another location in like a week. is just, I mean, what? Like that's, I just don't know how that's going to be possible because it feels like just about every team has gone through, you know, one, if not more of these pauses and, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a difference in terms of, and I know there are some differences in the basketball protocols versus football, but um, short of all the players getting vaccinated before the tournament starts, I, I just I, I just don't see, I don't see how it's going to work out the way they scheduled it, and and I'm not sure if they need to go to you know, sort of this like guerrilla scheduling model that Dave talked about a few minutes ago, the idea that like all right every week you just come out with a new schedule. Um, I actually think that would be perfect. I just don't know how realistic that is. Um, Because some of these places don't have... It's not. (laughs) No, I know. But like, if if everybody was in a situation where the only people who got to come were family of players, then yes, I think they could do that. But there are other places where there are actually ticket holders who come to games. And so you need to know what dates those games are supposed to be. And it seems like a really ridiculous thing to say, given all of the, the totality of circumstances. But at the same token, if you are those programs that you can get that many people in the building, you want to get those people in the building. Um, whether, you know, we can debate whether or not that's a good idea. But in terms of the bottom line like that, you got to have that happen if you can have it happen. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big problems with college sports in general before the pandemic and now is an inability to think outside the box. Like, look how long we went with the BCS and people will just complain and complain and complain about how it wasn't fair and there were issues and nobody did anything about it because nobody could come up with anything better. Like that, that was, you know, that sort of stuff is commonplace in college sports and you see it, um, in all kinds of different ways. Like with the pandemic, it's like everybody kicked the can down the road to the last minute to come up with schedules and it kind of worked. Um, but there was probably a better way for college basketball. Same thing. We knew this was going to happen. Like, you know, at the beginning of the season, all those games got canceled. It was like so obvious, like Bubbleville and all those things. It was like, okay, it's a it's a neat idea, but like it's not really like 
it, it's not really radical enough to work probably the way that a, like a real bubble would or something like that. So, I mean, your scenario for the ACC tournament, like a team not being able to play, mathematically, it's it's almost likely, right? I mean, like that one of the 15 teams will have an issue. I think the only way you can do it for the ACC tournament, for smaller leagues, I don't know what you do, um, but the ACC tournament, I think you almost have to say, like, look, if you can't play because of COVID, you're just going to forfeit your spot. And, and the seeding will, will, will adjust just like when a team can't play in the ACC tournament because of sanctions, um, which we've seen recently. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's your only way around it, but it's not that crazy of a scenario, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, my guess is there won't be conference tournaments. Like, you know, Ultimately, the teams are going to have to vote on it. Are you willing to risk NCAA tournament to play in an ACC tournament or whatever? And I think most leagues will, will opt not to, barring some drastic change in vaccinations. Um, and that's just a hunch. Because you, you've seen, like, I mean, you've seen guys on you know, beat writers and everyone else talking about, our, do we need to play conference tournaments? So I think the thought is out there. Um, For the big yeah. leagues, I get it. For the small leagues, you almost have to. Because, like, I mean, they could say regular season champ, but that's something that they should have determined before the season started. Like, Yeah, but I mean, I don't think it's too late to say, hey, this is how we're doing it now um, because we've got to. Uh, look, there's also going to be some you know, kids that are like, oh, that's fine because I'm ready to be done with this too, right? So um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot to be determined. I mean, ultimately when it comes down to Virginia and Virginia Tech, possibly playing tonight i do feel like if uva or virginia tech really wanted that to happen it they would have like obviously someone at uva or someone at virginia tech didn't want it like wasn't interested because i think if they were both interested the acc would have made it happen man oh the times oh the times well um Talking about this pandemic for almost a year, man. Yeah, I know, right? Ridiculous. It's it's crazy though how we keep <laughs> we keep finding new ways to talk about the same thing, right? But it's you know it's it's uh, it's pertinent and uh, did not involve anybody calling anything uh, fake or whatever. All right, that's a good place to put a pin in it. Um, Cavaliers at this point scheduled to go or sorry scheduled to host Georgia Tech on Saturday, and um, we will no doubt be talking about that next week. And heck, by maybe by that point, given where Virginia's schedule is, there'll be extra games. So we'll see. Um, if you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, it's your Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you're so inclined to give us a review, uh, we would appreciate that. Helps to get us out in front of more people, as long as you liked it. If you didn't like it, don't don't review it. Um, if you want to leave a comment and like talk smack about Dave or Ferber, feel free. Um, if you could do that about me, I don't want that. Um, if you're somebody who found the pod, has not given us a look at the website yet, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Let's see, right now, um, I did a couple features, one on Casey Morcell, one on Sam Hauser. Um, Sam Hauser has so much coach speak in him, it's absurd, and I kind of loved it. Um, the weekend wrap, uh, we talk, obviously, about the blowout of Clemson, and um, there was something Tony said in there that made me think of uh, something Kyle Guy told me one time, which I think means I'm officially old, is when you <laughs> when you start pulling quotes out of thin air from five years ago. Um, but anyway... That was a good call, or at least I enjoyed writing it. And then Ferber made his uh, oddly-like return to the ring of power rankings this week, um, which involved me switching the days on him. So two of the, two of the things I had to sort of work around because games got played. But uh, 
yeah, I'm really looking forward to what uh, how 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 Ferber tracks power rankings when all of the um, the the league games are just all over the place. So uh, so that'll be fun. So uh, check that out at the website as well. So again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.